Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown, and today I have the return of Squid, Anthony Gabriella. How are we doing, Squid? I am doing wonderful, my man. NBA is back, mid-football season. I am just, you know, this is, this is sports happening as we, as we live. <laughs> yes, NBA season is also back, so we've got a preview of the season. We're one day behind, however, as the NBA season did tip off last night. We had opening night doubleheader featuring our Boston Celtics hosting the Philadelphia 76ers. And then there was the defending champion Golden State Warriors def- uh, playing against the LA Lakers. Our Celtics were able to handle business one by nine over the Sixers. And then the Warriors took care of business over the Lakers. But less about the games last night. We'll get into the Celtics game in a little bit. But let's just... Let's just roll things back because, Squid, I haven't really had a chance to, on the record, get your thoughts about some of the things that took place over the offseason, post-draft. So I need to you to explain to the people how you feel. The first one that I need your thoughts are is Utah. Utah has decided to just absolutely blow it up. They trade Rudy Gobert for several picks to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Then they do the same thing with Donovan Mitchell, sending him to the Cleveland Cavaliers. First round picks, pick swaps, players, et cetera, et cetera. Give me your thoughts. I know Joe Inglis left for Milwaukee. There's there's hardly anyone left. Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, they're surely going to be on their way out sooner than later as well. But give me your thoughts on Danny Ainge just – taking full, complete ownership and just restarting from scratch with the Jazz. This is uh, what Danny Ainge does right here. Uh, Danny Ainge gutted the Celtics. He traded Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, uh, Rajon Rondo eventually. I mean, he let everyone go. Uh, Ray Allen, they were all gone. Um, Danny Ainge has done it before. He got an absolute haul for those players that turned into Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, guys, guys like that. And he's doing it all again in Utah. He absolutely fleeced the Minnesota Timberwolves. Don't get me wrong. Great trade for the T-Wolves for the fact simply they have Rudy, Rudy Gobert in the team that they will win. They just overpaid for him. I'm not saying it was like a bad move to want Gobert in your team because you should. They just overpaid for him simply. But Utah got uh, an absolute haul. Um, Windhorse had his victory lap. It was, a, was the meme of the summer. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, pretty crazy there. Then we also had the will he stay, will he go saga in Brooklyn. If you recall, Kevin Durant not only demanded a trade, but said, if I don't get a trade and I stay, Steve Nash and Bobby Marks have to go. I will not play for them. I will not play for this organization if that remains the case. And yet here we are. Day two of the NBA season, Kevin Durant still in Brooklyn, pony up, and yet ownership, coaching staff still in place. So what do you what do you make of the whole Kevin Durant situation from the offseason? Uh, the way I look at it was like I saw it as KD pretty much saying, like, listen, I'm the most important player here. Uh, I, I don't 
necessarily trust you guys right now to uh, get to where I want to go as a player. Kind of, I'm not going to say downsending in his career, but like maybe one or absolute max two years of like prime peak Kevin Durant. Um, you know, just being one of the best three scorers in the league. So I see why KD was like, all right, listen, get me, get me the hell out of here. This is dysfunctional. At the same time, I feel like he used it kind of as a le- leverage to to show to Kyrie, to show to Ben Simmons, to show to all of them. Like, listen, if I force my way out of here, it's going to make your life a lot more miserable. So I need you guys to, like, really, 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 like, understand that I'm out of here if you guys don't figure it out. And that's going to suck for you guys. So I really feel like it was more of a leverage by Durant for Durant than anything overall. I, I know there was a lot of rumblings and stuff like that, but it was more leverage and, like, headlines than anything. Mm-hmm. And the, the last thing that I, I want to kind of get your thoughts on that took place last year is, and this is more of like a story going into this year, is the Phoenix Suns. So obviously they have the epic Game 7 meltdown at home against Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks in the conference semifinals. They had the best record in the NBA last season by a wide margin. And they just threw it completely out the door. And it resulted in DeAndre Ayton going to free agency as a restricted free agent. I mean, it was going to happen regardless of the playoff outcome. But he ends up actually signing an offer sheet with the Indiana Pacers for a four-year max deal. The Phoenix Suns obviously matched that. He's back in Phoenix, but... It seems like he's not the most thrilled to still be in Phoenix after the way that game seven in the postseason unraveled. So what what do you make of, of the Phoenix Suns after the way last season ended, the way things played out with Aiton in the offseason coming into this year? Yeah, uh, it's an interesting situation they got going over there because first off, there's there's definitely some turmoil with their owner going on. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on with that. And then also, you can kind of tell, uh, like, right, Aiton doesn't want to be there. They're talking about trading Jay Crowder just because he's going to be a free agent and they want to get an asset for him and save money because Cam Johnson plays and can do the same thing, which I disagree because uh, Jay Crowder's kind of, in my opinion, essentially he's been in the playoffs every year for the last, like, seven years because he's just a glue player. Uh, but Phoenix is just one of those teams where, like, we were really high on them going into that playoff, you know, that playoff run and that they would probably end up back in the finals or at least in the conference finals to all of a mm-hmm. sudden uh, lost game seven, Chris Paul did Chris Paul things by, by that. I mean, you know, choking Chris Paul things. And then uh, <laughs> we, it, 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 I don't know, dust kind of settled. And now Phoenix is, in my opinion, just another team. I just think they're, you know, they'll, they'll be a playoff team, you know, four or five seed, whatever. But I don't think they're this dominant force that we thought they were going into that. Like Chris Paul is honestly old. He is old. Uh, it's the year. I mean, he's just old. Devin Booker's great. Cal Bridges is good. Aiton's good. Uh, Cam Johnson's good. You know, they have good players and all that. But I don't think they mm-hmm. have like, like a star that it takes to win a championship. I think, like I said, there's like five or six of those guys in the league, and they don't have one, one of those guys. Yeah, I just – Every year it seems like they're like knocking on the doorstep, but then they just, ever since 
the I think it was the COVID season where they went and played. No, no, not the COVID season. Uh, the the year after when they played Milwaukee and Milwaukee won it all and they lost in six. It feels like ever since that they've had the slowest hangover. Like you'll see some teams in other sports, like most notably the Atlanta Falcons, when they choked the twenty-eight to three lead in the Super Bowl to the Patriots. They just kind of have never even come close to that kind of success since then. And it was a very quick drop off. This feels like a slow burn of sorts to me where they still have the band back together, but you can just see everything starting to unravel. And I think that their early first month or two will be a pretty strong indication of where this team sits. Now, obviously injuries over the course of the season can derail that things can happen. Trades can happen, but just from uh, looking at it right now, if they get off to a slow start, I would not be surprised if you start to see some, some big changes come to that Phoenix roster. Uh, But if if they get off to a hot start, then they're going to give another go. Obviously they wouldn't have brought back DeAndre Ayton if, if they weren't in win now mode. And how can you not be when you're coming off a 64 win season, Uh, you have expectations to win a championship. Uh, But like I said, you still have Chris Paul on your roster, which means uh, you are asking for the damn near impossible when it comes to winning a championship. So we'll have to see what happens there between that, the ownership, all of that. It's, it's a, it's certainly interesting times out in Phoenix for the Suns. Now squid, this is the part where I know you've been waiting for all day long, maybe even weeks, maybe even months our Celtics season preview. Now, again, there of course has to be something non player related going on with the organization that kind of has has to cast a a black cloud over the team of sorts. That would be the M.A. Udoka situation. So for those who are not aware, that is the head coach or former head coach of the Boston Celtics. He has been suspended for the entire 2022-2023 season because of violations of team policies. What specifically? Well, in short, he had an intimate relationship with a female member of the franchise's staff. And I won't go into any further details. You can read them up on your own. But basically, this really is a terrible look for Ime Udoka, so bad in which many, including myself, are unsure if he will ever sit on the Boston Celtics bench again. But they will be proceeding with interim coach uh, Joe, and I'm going to butcher his last name, uh, Missoula? Yep. Uh and who only has two years of head coaching experience, and that was at the D2 college level. So he has been an assistant coach with the Celtics for the last couple of years, but this is his real, true first head coaching gig at at the pro level, and he's being thrown into the deep end right off the bat. Uh, So 
Squid, real quick, give me your thoughts on this whole situation, what your initial thoughts were when the news started to kind of come out, and uh, how, how do you feel about this team being led by Missoula? Yeah, great question. You know, at first when the email stuff was coming up, it was like, ah, shit, you know, this guy was – he clearly established a culture in Boston of uh, being gritty – being tougher, being, uh, you know, kind of being more resilient. And that was that message was clear right across the team last year, which was awesome. So, you know, it was like, ah, oh, e has gone. No one's going to hold him accountable anymore. Are you kidding me? Because in my opinion, uh, from what I've heard, which it's really weird because it was super, like everyone was talking about it every day to like just it disappeared completely. Uh, that e like, because there's a lot going on that we don't know of with e that I think, I don't, there's no chance he may ever coaches for the Celtics and probably an NBA team ever again, because it sounds like from what I'm understanding from different things, it's a lot worse than anyone really knows. And there's an investigation still going on and they just mm-hmm. can't really think about it until it actually happens, like until it's done. And that's going to happen randomly midway through the year. It won't matter because he'll be detached from the team and the team will never really get his trust back by any means, including the players. Like they won't be able to look up to him as a leader at that point. Um, so Here's the thing, like, whatever Ema did, probably wrong. I'm not going to speak on it because I don't know. But he did establish an awesome culture in Boston with these specific players, and I don't think it's just something he established for a year. He pretty much turned all these players' mentalities around, which is absolutely incredible. Um, Tatum, Brown, Smart, uh, Grant Williams, those are my kind of, like, core four of the guys who I was like, all right, I love those four players. They're really good, but are they, you know, are they winners? He may turn them into winners, in my opinion, like mentality-wise. And I don't think that's something they're ever gonna ever gonna lose because of that. And now Joe Mazzula, who's kind of similar fashion, where he's a little more hard-nosed, he'll go he'll go right at you. Like if you if you ever read anything on Joe Mazzula, he's he'll ring you out in the middle of the game and you start yelling at you and whatever he may would do. He has those same values, except I think he's probably a little bit more of like a you know uh, safe option. From what I heard. Ime was a was an issue at other places sleeping around. Uh, him and his uh, fiance Nia Long had an open relationship, um, whatever, and it was issues elsewhere, which is why he didn't get hired as a head coach for so long. Celtics obviously mm-hmm. took a chance on them. That chance obviously ma- majorly worked out because they went to the finals and established culture. And now Joe Mazzulla kind of gets to, in my opinion, he's in a great spot because the players respect the shit out of Joe Mazzulla. Um, Danny Ainge tried poaching Joe Mazzulla before he tried poaching. Will Hardy and the Celtics would not let Danny. Uh, Wick Grosbeck literally called Danny and said, "You're not taking Joe from us. You can have Will, but he was hyped, but you're not taking Joe." Joe was a uh, Celtics fan growing up. He's from Rhode Island. I actually have some friends who used to who used to uh, play on a team that was overlooked by Joe Mazzulla, and they all think he's the absolute right guy to lead the organization. And I think we're in a good spot with him. I think the players respect the shit out of him from what I saw yesterday. Uh, Celtics win last night, obviously. And uh, I am looking forward to Joe Mazzulla as our head coach, and I think he's the right guy to do this because, you know, the last thing we need is some new coach with new ideas coming in to establish a culture. There's already a culture that works here. Let's just let Joe advance it. And I actually think Joe was going to be great for it because he's going to be able to still do what Ime did, but also have the tweaks that he ha- that he can look at from the outside, like, oh, Ime did this great, and we're going to stick with this. But maybe Ime didn't think creatively offensive enough, which he did not, in my opinion. Um, and Joe will, and that's going to be a huge tweak, and 
huge for the team. So I'm excited to see what uh, that has to offer. And Ime Yudoka, thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Deuces. Yep. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, uh, we wanna, I'm going to look back and thank Ime. Yeah. And, and for the for the on-court contributions, absolutely. You, you nailed it on the head. This team was just struggling through the, the mud. 500 ball club. Couldn't win more than a couple games in a row. Also wouldn't lose more than a couple games in a row. But something just wasn't working. And eventually, come the new year, the – they in January they, they just had had enough and and it was something that Ime brought out of them whether he just challenged them to get their act together or what but he they he got that team playing some downright disgusting defense for the last three to four months of the season and they had it, it resulted in Marcus Smart winning Defensive Player of the Year it resulted in Rob Williams having just insane defensive efficiency ratings across the board when he was healthy and on, on the court. And it, it was, it wasn't giant tweaks, but he was making the right tweaks here and there when needed over the course of the last stretch uh, playoff stretch of the season. So it, he's definitely instilled something into this team. And Joe seems to be carrying on that sort of mindset that the Celtics now have. You you could tell that that and I, I 100% agree. You you can tell that the players absolutely respect the hell out of Joe because there were multiple occasions where they were the cameras on TNT were panning over and showing like Joe in the in the huddle with the players and he had not only did he have their full attention but like he was not afraid to lay into them to yell get in their faces and yell but also be the guy to to kind of encourage. So I think he has full command of this team. I think that that won't be an issue and it's a great thing to see. Absolutely. And he, he has the, if he ever needs advice, he has Brad Stevens, a great head coach just to be like, Hey Brad, what do you think? So exactly. Now with Danilo Gallinari injuring his knee, blew it out uh, during a Euro League tournament uh, earlier in the year. Uh, the Celtics decided to bring in one Blake Griffin. Now, give me your quick thoughts on Blake Griffin joining the Celtics roster as some front court death. Yeah, um, the, my one and only thought is that in, I believe it was 1986, the Celtics uh, brought in one, oh gosh, um, the announcer uh, Bill, brought in one Bill Walton, redhead. Uh, yes. From another team, former, you know, superstar Bill Walton uh, from, from out west, uh, kind of end of his career, brought him in, won a title. In 2008, Celtics have absolute legend redhead Brian Scalabrini on the roster wins an NBA title and we fucked Blake Griffin in 2022 uh redhead Celtics are winning the title that's all it's all (laughs) I mean I I know I know it's whatever you know history repeats itself blah 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 I am just I'm ecstatic because Blake Griffin's gonna be a good locker room guy quite frankly he was a star he knows how to handle situations he's a say like quote-unquote adult in the locker room that's huge Mm -hmm. and honestly 
I think in stints, Blake's going to give us good minutes, mainly with guys like, uh, like yeah, I know it's kind of weird because Blake's lost his athleticism, but he's really good at guarding Giannis still. He, uh, he's really strong against Giannis, and he can like kind of just keep him. He has, I don't know, he can hold his own as far as Giannis backing him down, which is really cool. So, I don't know. Blake's mm-hmm. going to step in random. I, I say he won't get more than 10 minutes tonight, but I think he'll be on the floor pretty much every night and get like eight, 10 minutes of just energy. You know, energy, like IQ stuff. Mm-hmm. And he'll knock down. Now, yeah. You know, he, he took one, didn't make it. What uh, didn't really contribute much in the points department, but did chip in five rebounds, which led all bench contributors. So exactly. Uh, I mean, so if he can, if yeah, it's like, it's like Horf, Horford's going to play. We're not going to play Horford more than like 30, 31 minutes a night because he's getting old, quite frankly, which he's in great shape for his age. So, we're going to split minutes between Vonley, Luke Cornett, Blake Griffin, and Grant Williams. Like We're just going to rotate until Rob gets back. We'll have those four guys figure it out, and it'll work. So mm-hmm. Now let's, let's talk about that season opener against the Sixers. So first, first half, very much back and forth, tied going into the half, and then the Celtics come out hot in the third quarter and are able to hold it down in the fourth for a 126 to 117 victory at home on opening night. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, both go off for 35 points each. Jason Tatum checks in with the double-double, adding 12 rebounds as well. The only other starter in double figures was Marcus Smart, uh, but Hal Horford and Derek White also didn't play a ton of minutes, 24 and 23, respectively. You had three people on the bench play 20-plus minutes. That would be Malcolm Brogdon, Grant Williams, and Noah Vonley. Brogdon and Williams in particular both scored double figures, 16 and 15 points each. Uh, Brogdon looked great, fit in seamlessly on both ends of the court, and Grant doing usual grant things, locking it down defensively, being that just upper level elite ish three and D guy for the Celtics. So squid tell me what did you like? Um, Is there anything that you didn't like from what you saw from this team on opening night? You know, it's hard to say it, find something I didn't like because it's game one of the year. It's really hard to nitpick a team on game one because at this point in the year, yeah, like they have, you know, they know what they know what they're doing, but like you gotta still experiment with things at this point of the year. And I'm sure that's what they're doing. It's Joe Mazzullo's first game. Like I'm not gonna go too harsh on anything they did wrong the first game. Uh, looking at things they did right, I mean, I was so blown away, impressed with uh, Jason Tatum right at the start of the game. The dude got wherever he wanted to on the court. Uh, he also like the last couple of years he's had problems dribbling, getting inside, and finishing at the rim. Um, so at, like at that point where, you know, it's kind of cool to see Tatum getting to the rim, no problem. And I, I think that's going to be something that continues going forward. Jalen Brown was awesome. Again, he was at 35 points. So did Jason there. I mean, they were very impressive. Uh, the only other two things, uh, I would point out from the game is that Malcolm Brogdon is an absolutely perfect fit when he's healthy, when he's healthy and on the court, he is going to be just absolutely awesome. Um, cause He's not necessarily going to score you 30 points a game or anything like that. But Malcolm Brogdon's going to be like a guy that comes up the bench. He can give Tatum and Brown actual rest as far as running the offense goes. 
and he's going to have probably 15 to 16 points a night, plus do that very efficiently, and he's going to make those passes that won't result in assists, but they're going to be the necessary passes that no one else is willing to make. It's like if Al Horford was a guard almost, and that's mm. so – so I love that. And Malcolm Brogdon might have the best like Boston accent name of all time. <laughs> Yeah, it's you know what? Now that you say that, that's uh, that's a tough one to argue. Uh, I I liked what I saw from Brogdon as well. He had stretches where he not only took over the offense and was scoring seemingly at will, but then he had stretches where he was locking down on defense. I I definitely agree with you in that I think that Brogdon is going to be a key piece. I don't know if he's the X factor to the Celtics getting back to or even winning an NBA finals, but he's, he's going to play a very important part for this Boston Celtics team this year. And then Grant Williams is just so, so important to this team as well. He just feels like the, the blue guy that you stick on a big man who can move in any sort of way. It's just felt like when Grant was not on Joel Embiid last night, Embiid was able to get most, if not almost anything that he wanted. Uh, He wasn't terribly efficient. I mean, Embiid did shoot 50% from the field. He did have 26 points and 15 rebounds, but it felt like Grant made him super work for anything that he got. Uh, whereas when he had Vonley or anyone else matched up on him, just felt like they had to bring the double teams and that kind of broke down the, the defense a little bit easier, but I, I love Grant Williams, man. It's I, I, I really hope he's able to stay here long-term uh, because his, his defense. And if he is, is three for three from, from three point land as well for Grant. So just, it just feels like him and Brogdon coming off the bench is just so, so uh, just, I don't want to say critical, but it's just, that's just such a, a, a huge have to be able to bring those two guys off your bench. Yeah, for sure. And I, and Grant, Grant's one of those guys that I, yeah, we can't afford to lose extra work. I mean, we're going to match the offer either way, I think. Grant is just – Grant's terrific. Uh, he he deserves the money he's going to get. He's only going to get better. And he's one of those blue guys, mentality guys, not scared to get in anyone's face. We're going to need to keep Grant around, so we'll have to figure that one out. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of wrapping up Celtics talk for a little bit here, my, my, my final two questions for you are, are this. So, one – what does this team have to do to get back to the finals and in position to get banner 18? And then, I mean, expectations have to be championship or bust. Correct. Uh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I would say championship or bust, but the, the Milwaukee bucks are also a very, 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 very good basketball team with Chris Middleton healthy and then adding Joe Ingles, I'm sure they'll find a way to add another bench piece throughout the year, like before the trade deadline. Um, I don't think there are anything to, you know, to look past. So if we, you know, we get to the conference finals and lose a seven game series to them. And then, 
you know, then I wouldn't call it a bust by any means because that's just losing to greatness. And I think that's, you know, we can't hang our hat mm-hmm. on that because we're going to have some battles with them the next couple of years. Uh, now, if we go out and lose round one to the 76ers or the Miami Heat, then yeah, that's bust. That's bust. Um, now, what do we need to do to get back to the finals? Uh, it's all going to be about health. I think the roster is in place. I will say we're not winning the finals or getting back to the finals unless Robert Williams is healthy. Yeah, it was great last year. We made it without him, but we also kind of got lucky with the Middleton injury as well. And then, you know, the Miami series is really sloppy. But at the same time, if Rob was healthy for the conference finals and the finals, it probably would have been really different because Rob was not at full strength in those games. He was hobbling around out there and a healthy Rob would have absolutely dominated the the heat. Like that would have been a shorter series in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And that alone of that series against Miami being shorter would have helped against the Warriors who would not have been as tired. Um, but then obviously in the finals too, the Warriors don't have too much size and Rob would have been, would have had his own in that series as well. But Rob was in and out for a lot of those games and it sucked and that hurt a lot. So it's getting Rob healthy and, you know, having him peak at the right time this year because we know he can't stay healthy for a full two games. So let's get him healthy for the stretch and, you know, limit his minutes in the first two rounds when we don't need him as much and then but let him free in those conference finals and finals. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. the strategy here. Uh, looking at looking at what the roster is and what they could need, uh, my concern is that Rob is actually healthy and we could have him ready to go for that time. If that's the case and Rob's not going to be playing towards the end of the year because he's hurt again, we need to figure out a real backup big man. Because Horford's a good big, but he, like I said, he can't play 42 minutes in the playoffs because he's 37 years old and we'll be 38 by the finals. So we're going to need to find uh, a second big man. That would be very useful, in my opinion. Um, Brogdon and White are good, are good like two guards. That's kind of small threes. I will say... If there's a way to add another wing on there, because Gallinari is not going to play, we have those traded player exceptions. Uh, finding a guy like Jay Crowder or you know just another wing t- to bring up the bench is going to be super helpful for us. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. just over- overall being healthy, I think Tatum and Brown are where they need to be. Tatum, I think Tatum is going to be like the MVP, if not like top three MVP voting, and it's going to lead to one of those things that we're actually, you know, in the finals, but we need to win the final, not just get there. So let's, let's make sure people are healthy and maybe add a guy. Yeah. Uh, Cause I don't think Sam Hauser is uh, going to be your option for wing off the bench. That, that uh, I don't think that's, that's going to be a long-term solution to that. No, one, and, so. and that will work in the regular season against like, you know, when you're not playing Philadelphia, but like when you're playing half the league, that sucks. Yeah. He's going to eat some great minutes where like, it's the third quarter. Tatum's got 25. Brown's got 25. We already won handily. All right, Hauser, go out there and play 20 second half minutes. Well, Tatum only plays 28 minutes a night against his bad team. So him and Brown keep their legs fresh. And so does Horford. He'll be great. Him and Luke Cornett will be great at eating minutes. But mm-hmm. it's when it for the NBA playoffs and NBA finals, we can't be relying on Sam Hauser and Luke Cornett. I bet Blake Griffin will find a way to sneak into some minutes, but we will <laughs> need to find, we'll need to find a real, uh, a real backup option there. And, you know, if Rob's healthy, that changes things because if Rob and Al are healthy, there's not going to be a big that we can get that plays over the, over those two. Hmm. 
Give me a final thought here. Give me a win-loss prediction. I know that's kind of putting you on the spot here, but uh, roughly, how many how many wins do you expect for the Celtics this year? I'm going to go 58. I think we we're going to win a shit ton okay. of games. Uh, I just don't – we know we don't need to win 65 because if we're going to win 65 games, that means we're going to be playing our guys way too many minutes and we don't need to do that. Uh, if anyone thinks that the Warriors just dominated the Celtics that hard because they're that much more talented, I think you're on crack. Uh, it, the Celtics were dead. If you, re, if you go back and watch those final games again, which I did do because I, I suffered from that, like, we were, we were dead. Tatum, Tatum's gone, looked look Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, all these guys eye to eye and scored relentlessly on them. You're telling me Andrew Wiggins just can put him in his back pocket like that? And so, and same with Draymond to Jalen Brown. It's not going to happen like that if those guys aren't absolutely gassed from playing three seven-game – or, sorry, two seven-game series in a row before that. And then before that, pretty much having played 38 minutes a night for the last three months. It's like that takes a toll on your body, and the Celtics will not do that again. So 56 to, to 58 wins is my prediction. Uh, I think they'll get the two-seed. I, I don't think they really – I mean – I don't know. Maybe someone will get the one seat over them. Whether I don't, we'll talk about that later. But obviously, that home court's important there. But either way, uh, we're not going to duck smoke when it comes around to there. Let's just you know be healthy. Yeah, I, I would. I would peg them at around 54, 55 wins. Uh, I, I, I'm agreeing with you. I think they're going to be managing workloads a little bit better, given how the end of the season went last year how that ultimately may have factored in to the finals in, in the playoff run, but they, they don't want to just check in and as a, like a five seed, they're going to win games. They have the talent to win games and they're going, they're not going to just not go for the one seed, but they're not like desperate for it either. So I feel like they're in a comfortable position where like they're going to be in a battle for the one seed, and if they end up getting it, that's great. And if they don't, then that's fine. Last year, they didn't get it either. And they, they ended up being just fine, made it all the way to the finals. So I think you'll see some better, hopefully, uh, workload restrictions of per se. I, I, that might not be the best phrasing of it. But they're, they're going to manage minutes and workloads, I think, a little bit better this year. They're going to try and rotate more guys in when they – have the ability to uh, that's obviously health permitting. So I, I, I like them at 54, 55 wins. And yeah, I think second is, is a good spot for them uh, to finish in the Eastern conference. Now let's, let's move on and, and do a league wide kind of quick hitter preview of what we're expecting this year in the NBA. Let's start with the rookie class. Give me a rookie or two squid that you think will flourish from the get-go. Oh, boy. That's a great question. Um, my, I think my go-to is and – and I'm not just going to be like the guy that's going to tell you the number one overall pick is going to be the Flores go-to guy because we know he's going to be good. He's obviously was a beast at Duke. Uh, yep. But my guy that I think is going to be like, ah, oh, shit, we should have drafted that guy is Jaden Ivey. Um, I think, I think Jaden Ivy Cade is going to be a disgusting duo in the backcourt for the next 10 years. They're going to be like a staple of the NBA. 
I think Jaden's going to be nasty. I think Cade's nasty. And I think that's going to be like the backcourt of the future where everyone's like, oh, I wish I had that backcourt. Because Cade's such a smart basketball player. And I think Ivy's going to get to a point where his offensive game is going to be an absolute bag and he can just light it up. Mm -hmm. I actually really like their other lottery pick in Jalen Duran. I think he's going to turn into a double-double machine for the Pistons. You might not see it right away, but he was a force to be reckoned with at Memphis. He didn't need, uh, uh, what was his name? Ebony Bates. The, he, whether he was on the floor for Memphis or not, Jalen Duran still ate, and he was the focal point when Bates was out. He, he turned and led that team to the – I believe they made the tournament or they, they were just missed it if so, but he, he was the one that ended up turning that, that team around when they got off to a, a kind of a mediocre start. Um, but he has all the physical tools. He's got all, he's got all the talent in the world. It, it's just a matter of opportunity. He does have Isaiah Stewart kind of blocking him a little bit as well as Killian Hayes uh, there. So there are some obstacles to some consistent, high minutes for the Pistons, but he will get every opportunity to be able to develop and flourish with that team. The Pistons, uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but I think the Pistons could be a sneaky half decent team this year. They've got a lot of young talent. If they are able to, yeah, if, if they put it together, man, I, I think uh, I think they could be sneaky good this year. Not like not like winning a playoff series or anything, but like definitely not second worst in the Eastern Conference. Like maybe they get into the play in tournament and win a game. Maybe even find a way out of it. Yeah, and you it's a team you'll look at and be like, oh, like it's like you used to look at Detroit and be like, all right, automatic win in the schedule. Or like if you lost to them, it's like fire the coach, blow mm-hmm. the team. Where it's like, nope, they're not going to be that this year. You can go in there and lose because they have a hot shooting night. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also the most improved player in the NBA awards kind of pamphlet. Uh, so let us let me ask you this one, Squid. Who do you like to break out this season? Who's a player that has put up hasn't really had a monster year yet. They've put up mo- modest stats so far in their career. Who do you expect that fits that ilk to kind of have a breakout season? Yeah, I have two prime candidates and then one, like, I think he may have been a, in the, he either has won the award before or has been really close to winning the award as my, like, oh, yeah, this guy can do it again or we'll be mm-hmm. there again. Uh, but the first two prime candidates, because I've been following the trend of, like, all right, it's no longer like a like a very mediocre player that becomes really good. It's always like a budding star that just becomes an actual star, mm-hmm. which is kind of annoying because we just know they're going to be a star. It's more just their usage going up, which has led to winning this award almost. Uh, the two yep. guys in that mold are one, Anthony Edwards, because we know the guy's a freaking star. We know he's going to be a star. I just think he's going to have the ball in his hands nonstop, and his, his usage rate is going to be through the ceiling, and he's going to – be an offensive force, and everyone's going to be like, oh, he's ridiculous now. It's like, no, he was ridiculous before. You just didn't watch him because he wasn't always on ESPN. Um, and then that's one guy. Second guy uh, is also another absolute beast that I think will be one of the best bigs, if not the best big within the in the league within a couple of years here. That's uh, Evan Mobley. I just think he's going to be absolutely dominant in Cleveland. He's so freaking good if you watched him at all last year. But 
most people that aren't like NBA diehards have it because he's in Cleveland. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. another guy. And the other uh, other one is uh, down in Dallas because Dallas literally has Luca, and this guy is named Christian Wood. Like I said, he's been he's either one or he's been in the conversation before. Uh, Christian Wood was good in the Rockets. He was good in the Pistons. Luca's going to unlock him because Luca's going to be able to set him up. And I think Christian Wood's going to be like a very, 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 very high scorer, and he's going to be the number two option easily, and he'll have a run at it. Hmm. My two options are going to be kind of long shots. I could sit here and say that Cade Cunningham can go from rookie of the year to most improved if he has just disgustingly monster year. But I, I, I think that's, that's asking for a lot for him. Uh, I, I think two low-key names to watch here for most improved are Io Desomu and Nasir Little. Now, with Desomu, he may end up being the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. I that don't quote me on that, but I think he is. With, but with Lonzo Ball out for an indefinite period of time after a second offseason knee injury, uh, knee surgery, Desomu is going to have the ball in his hands, facilitating to the likes of DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, uh, et cetera, et cetera, here. And he was already getting some good run last year, but he wasn't in a high volume role per se. But if he is able to lock down a consistent starting gig, play 30, 32 minutes a night, he shot 52% from the field last year, 38% from three. The, the free throw shooting could, could be better. But, I mean, this is a guy where if his usage just goes up, like he's going to be averaging double-digit points a game. He's a guy that's going to be a- averaging six, maybe even seven assists and chip in five rebounds a night. Like this is a guy that you can get production from across the board. Now defense definitely will be a little bit of a work in progress, but I think that the opportunity is there. If Lonzo ball is out for a big chunk of the season for IO to kind of have a, a, a bust out season. Uh, and then another one is Nasir Little. He's the small forward over with the Trailblazers. If you recall, Anthony Simmons had quite the little breakout year last year with the Trailblazers and was rewarded handsomely by the organization. And now you have the opportunity where Little, just like Simmons was, in a, uh, a make-or-break season. He's on a contract year. And if he plays well, maybe he earns himself a fat payday. But he he's going to need to have a huge breakout season for them uh, if if the Trailblazers want to get back into postseason contention. Last year, they kind of fizzled out big time. But if they want to get back into maybe at least the, the, the play-in tournament, Little's a guy that's going to need to have a, a big year for them, whether it's in the starting rotation or coming off the bench. Sure. And then let me get your thoughts finally on MVP candidates. You can go pretty much any which way you want on this one. 
I mean, this award seemingly has been going to people who just haven't quite won it yet of late. Uh, but obviously you've got Nikola Jokic as your reigning NBA MVP. Do you like him to win it again? Or are there any other options that you'd like to throw out there as MVP candidates for sure this year? Yeah, I, uh, I'm Jokic won't win it again this year for two reasons. Obviously, voter fatigue, which everyone says, which I think is a thing, but also if, he's, if you're just the best player, you'll win it. But that's not it. Uh, they're getting Jamal Murray back. They're getting Michael Porter Jr. back. They added Octavius Caldwell-Pope. They have Aaron Gordon, Bones Highland. Uh, they, had, they added a couple other big names, like a couple other names over there. But they actually have like a good roster now where Jokic isn't literally going to need to do everything under the sun for them to be a playoff team. So I just think his minutes might go down a tiny bit uh, or his usage might go down just a tiny bit. And that's going to result in him not winning. Uh, I would say Embiid is right there in the race again because of whatever he dominates. But I think Harden's in a little bit better shape. And I just, there's no way uh, Embiid staying healthy for a full, full second year in a row. He always gets hurt. He's going to get hurt again this year. Uh, I think there's going to be some fresh faces in the actual MVP discussion this year. Um, and when I look at MVP, I have to look at play, not just the player itself, but is their team a top three seed? Because, you know, I want to say Luke is going to be the MVP, but I don't see a path to how their team is a top four seed. I just don't. So I'm like, yeah, I, I think Luke will have the, the highest usage rating the league's ever seen, like league history. But he's the team's not going to be good enough, so it's not going to result in him winning an MVP. Uh, the players I have in mind uh, – it's, I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between it. I think Tatum's going to win the MVP this year. Uh, I just think he's going in with a huge confidence. I know I'm a homer with Tatum, but the guy mm-hmm. went to the finals, he's like, once you lose in the finals or you get to the finals, you come into a, to, to the year with like a much different confidence than you would before. It's like, all right, I actually am that good. I'm, the, I'm able to be the best player on a championship team, which means, hey, when I'm going to play the Detroit Pistons on a – Tuesday night in November, I'm going to have no problem putting up 38 every time because I no longer have the pressure that I need to be great. It's like, he's just going to be great. Uh, I think he's going to probably average over 30 points this year, be, you know, 30, 30, uh, nine rebounds, six assists. That's going to probably, in my opinion, because the Celtics will be a top two seed. We'll get him the MVP. Uh, if it's not going to be Tatum, I think it's either going to be Giannis because, you know, Giannis will always be there. He's an absolute freak. He needs to be a freak for the Bucks to be really good. He's pretty much the whole Bucks team besides Middleton and Drew. Uh, so I think Tatum, Giannis, and a sleeper will be John Morant just because Jaw's ridiculous. And you know Jaw's not going to ever stop. But again, with Jaw, the guy jumps too high and he's too athletic for his own good. I could see him getting hurt as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that Giannis is, is my front runner this year. Uh, I, I just – I think he's going to be a man on a mission this year. And if he is able to put up some monster numbers over the course of a full season, it's and he's going to have a regular season number one seed to, to go along with it most likely. So I, I like his chances a lot. Uh, I'm not totally opposed uh, to the Embiid MVP talk, uh, but I'm again, I'm, I'm with you in that it's going to be really tough for him to stay healthy the way he plays, he's banging down low. 
He, he takes a lot of bumps and bruises. Uh, it doesn't take much for him to have uh, bang knees with somebody. And then he misses two weeks and then takes a, a game or two to get back. And it's just. Yeah. And caveat, you can weeks. You can miss two weeks and still win MVP. My issue is he'll miss two weeks multiple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he should be a top three MVP candidate, but his it's just almost his his own body is going to fail him in that regard. And that's that's really the only thing that's going to stop him from that. I do like the Luca MVP talk, though. Like, I understand that the path is going to be super hard for him because he's his team is probably going to be a five to seven seed range. And in order for you to win MVP with your team in that place in the standings, you almost have to be putting up otherworldly stats. The the only recent kind of uh, exception or the only kind of recent example of this was Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double over the course of a full season for the Oklahoma City Thunder when they ended up being a seven seed. It, that had, hadn't been done by anyone other than the big O, Oscar Robertson. And it hadn't been done in so long that it would have been almost a, just a ginormous crime if he hadn't won MVP that year. Now, do I expect Luka Doncic to average a triple-double this year? No. But I, I can definitely see him averaging like – close to 30 points a game, eight rebounds, eight assists. Maybe that's enough. Maybe that's everything that if, if health is on his side, he can put up some big numbers that will get him through and have him in the top three, the MVP discussion as well. So let's, uh, let's get to our playoff picks. So, why don't we give our top 10? So let's give, you know, go one through 10 for each conference who we like to make the playoffs. Seven through 10 obviously would be the teams that participate in the playoff tournament. Then once we've done that, we'll just give our final four. So basically who will be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, who will be playing in the Western Conference Finals. We'll make our picks for those two series and then we'll make our finals predictions as well. So, Squid, give me your Eastern Conference top 10 standings when all is said and done. Absolutely. Uh, with the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, uh, I'm going to go with the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I think they found out how important it was to have uh, – Game seven be a home game last year when the Celtics uh, won game seven at home because that's a huge advantage. Uh, the two seed will be the Boston Celtics. Three seed, I struggle with this one because there's a lot of candidates. Uh, it's a team that I don't think people are as high on them as they should be. And mainly it's not their starters or how dysfunctional they are, but it's their role players. It's the Brooklyn Nets. Uh mm. Coming back, I know it's Ben Simmons. He's a big joke, but he is a really good defender still, which they desperately needed. Uh, they also added TJ Warren, who's a bucket. Uh, they have Patty Mills, Joe Harris back. They still have Seth Curry, Nick Claxton. They got a really good roster. Oh, and they added Royce Young, who's another good defender. 
I think they'll be your three seed and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, on that side of things. Um, four seed, Philadelphia. Five seed, Miami. Um, six seed, your Cleveland Cavaliers, adding Donovan Mitchell. Love them. Uh, your seven seed, this one was the hard one for me because, um, you know, there's a lot of candidates that could fit into this role here. Uh, your seven seed, I'm going to go with the Atlanta Hawks. Dante Mari, Trey Young, you know, I just think they're going to figure it out down there. In Atlanta, Trey is just too good. Um, your eight seed is, oh, man, again, really, really difficult. So really difficult to figure that one out. Uh, mm-hmm. oof. I'm going to go with, and it's mainly because I love them based off of vibes and, you know, I, you know, I'm going to throw Toronto at eight first just because I, I respect Nick Nurse and what they do out there. Uh, nine, I'm going to go Detroit. I'm going to go your, your Detroit Pistons. Um, and then 10, oh gosh, if that one's really difficult because I'm, I'm weirdly, I'm weirdly kind of liking what Orlando's doing and they might sneak something out. Okay. Wow. Orlando at 10, huh? I feel like I may have missed a good team though. Yeah, I was a little surprised you didn't mention Chicago, but yeah, at the well, same time, like Chicago does have a plethora of injury issues already. But that is a team that was sitting atop the Eastern Conference standings for a good chunk of the first couple of months of the season. My last issue, year. my issue with Chicago is they once like that first half of the year ended, they were terrible. They were horrible from that first half all the way, and I don't know if they get back to that form. Luchavis stinks at defense. DeRozan, he's good, but he's kind of getting old. Uh, they have no Lonzo Ball, and he's so important for what they did. I just, I don't know. Maybe they'll be in there instead of you know Detroit or Orlando easily. I just, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical about them, and I'm high on those last two teams. I said. Hmm. Pacers. So my- true. True. So I have a pretty similar Eastern Conference uh, Eastern Conference standings finish. I got Milwaukee at one, Boston at two. I do have Miami at three. I feel like they're not only do they end up playing well in the postseason, but they're also like sneaky, like a pretty solid regular season team too. And I'm just a little skeptical on Brooklyn still. I feel like they're still a chance that things don't work out there. I, I, we have yet to see Ben Simmons play a single game for the Brooklyn Nets there. I have to believe he's going to be the same sort of usual self that he was back in Philly, but we've also yet to see it. So there, I just feel like there are a couple of question marks lingering in Brooklyn. I, I'm not willing to put them too, too high up in the standing. So I'm going to put Miami at three. I also have Philly at four. I'll put Brooklyn at five. That's probably underrating them. Uh, no, no doubt there. But again, just a little skeptical there. And then I like Cleveland at six as well. Atlanta at seven as well. Toronto at eight. I, I'm going to put Chicago at nine. I, I still think there's enough talent there to at least get you to the play-in tournament. I know that you, they were very much dog water once the injuries started to pile up. Lonzo Ball wasn't facilitating anymore. And 
once he was out, I think their record was like uh, 14 and 28 or something like that. I know they were like 29 and 13 with ball in the lineup. So if, if he's out for an extended period of time, they're, they're going to be lucky to get into the playing tournament. I just think they're that most of the other teams aren't ready to take that leap. And then I, I do have Detroit at 10. So I, I have them as well, making that fold. Let's flip over to the Western conference side of things. Who you got over there? Um, yeah, there, this is a good one. Cause the West is, it's, it's hard, harder to predict. Uh, I'm going to go with the number one seed in the Western conference. going to be the Denver nuggets. Um, I, they're loaded. I really like them. Uh, they have a good team. I think Golden State will be two, but not care as much about the regular season, but still just be that good where it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's kind of like Boston is going to coast in the East. Um, so, yeah, Golden State two. Um, that's what this work gets tough because uh, there's a lot of teams that kind of fit in the mold there. I'm going to go Timberwolves three because they're going to try to prove themselves in the regular season. Hmm. Uh, Timberwolves three. Four is going to be the LA Clippers. They're going to be the sleeper to everyone's sleeper to win the title uh, if they're healthy. And I just, like I said, I don't think Kawhi really cares too much about regular season once again. Uh, Phoenix, five. Dallas, six. Actually, just just kidding. No, I'm holding Dallas back to seven. I'm going to go New Orleans, six. Oh, I really okay. Love Dude, I mean, Zion is skinny. He's an absolute beast when he's healthy. Uh, love Brandon Ingram. Love CJ McCollum there. Absolutely freaking love Herb Jones. That team is going to be good. I got them at six. I have Dallas at seven. Um, oh, boy. From there is where I kind of am unsure because there's a lot of teams that that can kind of sneak into the mold. Uh, I don't know. I think – I know I hate the Lakers. I do think they're going to be a tiny, tiny tad bit better this year and be the eight seed. Um. Nine, I'm going to go with, ooh, you know, there's a lot of different options you can kind of look at there. Oh, I completely missed Memphis. I'm sorry. I skipped right over them on my list. I'm like, I was starting to think to myself, I'm like, wait, where is Memphis? Sorry. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going Memphis. Yeah. I I apologize about that. I want to go Memphis at the uh, six seed instead of New Orleans and then spot New Orleans in at seven there at the head of the playing tournament. Mm -hmm. And then Dallas at eight, Lakers nine. And the last one's like a battle between a bunch of shit teams. But I do mm-hmm. think the Sacramento Kings are going to finally break that mold. I love Keegan Murray. Uh, and overall, they, they added uh, Herter. They, they added a couple good players. I think the, the, the Sacramento Kings are going to sneak in at 10. Mm. You know what? That's a bold one, but I like it. Uh, I'm going to roll with Golden State at one. I think they're going to cruise here. If there's anyone that's going to unseat them, I'd like Memphis to have the best shot because I feel like they are going to be out to prove on all levels that they not only can hang with Golden State, which I think to a degree they did in the playoff series last year, but obviously Golden State, just too much experience, too much star power for a postseason best of seven series. Memphis wasn't ready yet. So I feel like the Grizzlies are going to come out and they're, they're going to be right there. If, if they're not the one seed, they're going to be right there with Golden State fighting for it. Uh, so I actually have Memphis at two. I have Denver at three. I, I expect big things from the Nuggets this year. They kind of had a down season. They just 
first round exit to the Warriors last year. Not what you want to see from your MVP. But if Michael Porter Jr. can stay healthy for a full-fledged season, I really think he can develop into a stud. But the problem is that back of his, I don't think it's ever going to hold up. And if that's the case, that's a, that's a real shame. I have Phoenix at four. I, I feel like there's just still too much talent there, but kind of like Brooklyn, a lot of questions looming over that team, over that organization. So while they may have had the best record last year, it, it's tough to really put them in the conversation for a top of the conference finish again. I've got the Clippers at five. I'm just not sold on the Clippers. I know they added John Wall to to go in tandem with Reggie Jackson running the backcourt. I know you've got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard coming back from big-time injuries. They barely, Leonard didn't play at all last year. Paul George basically missed most of the entire season last year. Uh, so they're obviously going to have a, a, a bounce-back year. The fact that they finished above 500 without most of those two guys' services shows you that they have enough talent around them to when those two are playing in on point, they should be a 50-plus win team in the West. But I am a little reserved on saying that those two will be able to hold up again. So I'm going to put the, the Clippers at five. I got Minnesota at six. I am very intrigued to see how the pairing of Gobert and Carlstown Jr. works out. I feel like the Timberwolves have to make that work to get with the amount of investment they put into Gobert with all the picks and players they sent away to make that happen. Big year for D'Angelo Russell as well. He has to step up if the Timberwolves re- really want to be a threat, a contender in the West whatsoever. He's on a contract year. If he ends up not being a big piece, he's going, he could be a guy that's on the way out in Minnesota. I have Dallas at seven. Uh, I feel like the Jalen Brunson loss is, is a huge loss for them. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure how they're going to recoup that scoring, but hopefully Christian Wood can be a guy for them that will run in tandem with Luca. I got new Orleans at eight. I'm just not sold that they're going to make a big jump this year. Hopefully Zion can play the whole of the year and we'll get to really see what that team's full potential is. I'm going to throw the Lakers in at nine, just because there's, I just don't see LeBron missing out on even the playing tournament completely again for the second straight year. I feel like that would just be a full throttle embarrassment to, to not only the end of his legacy, but the, just the entire Lakers organization as as a, as a whole. So he's going to find a way to will that team into the play in. And then give me Portland as the throw in team at 10. I think that Yusuf Nurkic when healthy is a big that can be a problem for other teams. And with Damian Lillard still on that team, just there is plenty of reason for why the Trailblazers can get back into a playoff position, so to speak. But those are, so those are how we expect the standings to shake out. Let's, let's make some playoff picks. So squid, the floor is yours. Give me your conference finals matchups and winners for both conferences 
Absolutely. I think it's uh, pretty simple in the East. It's going to be the Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. Last year, we had it as the uh, semifinals just kind of sucked because it was the conference finals in all reality. Uh, and then in the I'll wait to my winner, so I say both sides. Um, in the West, I have Golden State and the Denver Nuggets. Um, and it's really hard because I think that could play out a variety of ways. And I'm like giving this pick with, with the, the least confidence I've ever had in a pick because, you know, we're really not going to know until those, that's it, those two series comes around and the health plays in. Um, I think, I think the warrior, I think Denver is going to win the West. Mm. Um, and I think the Bucks are going to win the East. Um, we're going to get to see two global superstars Nicole Jokic and Giannis go toe to toe in the NBA finals, which would be pretty sick. Uh, so that'll be cool. Uh, like I, I could also see the Celtics getting there. I just think, uh, I just think injury luck's going to play out and, uh, not in our fashion this season. Cause it did last year and it's kind of tough two years in a row for it to play out, which hopefully it does play out. And, uh, we're back in the finals, but I just think Giannis is too good. Um, and then on the West side of things, I just think, dude, those nuggets with getting Jamal Murray back, which he is going to struggle early. Be ready for that. His first 15, 20 games are going to be a mess. And then he'll figure it out by mid-year and everyone's going to be like, oh, maybe he is good. Uh, Porter mm-hmm. Jr. will at least play enough minutes for them to be solid, but their bench is awesome now. I think the Nuggets get it done in the West, dethrone the Warriors. And uh, when's, when all is said and done, I think Giannis is going to win his second title. Mm. Okay. So I also have Celtics and Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. I have Memphis and Golden State in the Western Conference Finals. I'm guessing you can you can tell I still have my Memphis bias from last playoff run. That worked out very well for me. Uh, not. So let's go ahead and double down. I've got Memphis finally getting over the Golden State hump in the West. And give me the Celtics to once again get past the Bucs this time to get back to the NBA Finals. I really don't want to be the homer but i'm gonna be the homer and i'm gonna say that the celtics are gonna be locked in from day one they were last night and i think that's gonna continue and i think that everything will align the stars will align banner 18 it's happening this year squid i'm willing this into existence i'm banging on the table it's gonna happen Uh, dude that would be awesome and here's the thing i I am with you. If we get anyone but Golden State in the finals, we're going to win the finals. We're not losing to a different team in the finals. I think if we got mm-hmm. Golden State, they would beat us because I just think they're our fathers. <laughs> it sucks. Uh, it's just it's, we're not going to be in the finals. They just are a bad matchup for us. However, if we get anyone mm-hmm. else, we play the absolute hammer on them and win five games. Um, when was the last time that a Celtic has won the MVP? That's a little trivia question for you. Uh, would that be, wouldn't be Larry Bird in 80. Yeah. 84. It, think about this. Yeah, correct. You're right. It, the last time the bot. So the, the last time the winningest franchise in NBA history has had an MVP was over f- almost 40 years ago now. Yeah. That's pretty insane, man. Which tells me, uh, I, I think it's due time. I think Tatum's going to win the MVP. And I think, like you said, the Celtics have a real chance to get into the finals. We're just that good. 
I'm telling you, if Tatum is MVP, the Celtics are going. It's going because the Celtics ran train, not so much in a win loss department, but they were right there, upper 50s wins, and they were locked in from point A to point B, start to finish in this regular season. And if that is the case, then they are going to be in a prime position to make another deep run and get back to the finals. So for sure, I I hope that's the case. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's all I've got on my agenda here. Uh, Any final thoughts that you got to get off your chest here, Squid, before we let you go? I've got nothing. I'm ready to enjoy some NBA basketball. I will say it's always a slow start to the NBA year as far as, you know, the overall viewership just because the NFL is currently more important at this time because we're only, I mean, the NBA, quite frankly, starts too early. We're only mm. six weeks in the NFL season. It's not like we're, like, winding down in the NFL. We, we're just getting started with the NFL. We don't even know who the real contenders are yet. Let's. I wish the NBA would push back to Christmas and go into a little bit later into the summer so the summers aren't mm. so boring. Also, uh, for you soccer heads, the World Cup is starting soon, too. So it's like mm. it's going to be kind of be a weird, slow uh, news cycle for the NBA to start the year. Uh, so I guess we'll see where we're at in February, uh, you know. Obviously, I'll probably yeah. talk to you before then, see how the season starts. But, uh, you know, I'm excited, man. I look forward to it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll have some sort of Christmas update, something along then, uh, if not sooner. But, yeah, I'm excited for the NBA season. I can't wait to see our Celtics make another push for uh, Banner 18. And hopefully this is the year they, they raise that banner. Absolutely, my man. It was good to talk to you and cover uh, the NBA again. Yes, sir. So that is going to do it for this edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. For Squid, I am Ryan. We will see you next time.